such a fine line between picking the songs that are fantastic to lead into a conversation or hitting on childhood favorites that you're more than happy to just let play as long as you possibly can to drink in <laughs> the nostalgia, which to me is the most powerful drug. <laughs> no doubt. But anyhow, it's uh, time to turn our attention to the rule book. To help us do that, SEC replay official Gerald Hodges. Gerald, how are you? Doing great, John. Tell it's me, good to be here. Well, and what is it like when you either get that assignment that tells you that you're headed to a championship game, whether it be a semifinal, a BCS title game, what's it like uh, when you're told that you're going to be one of the granddaddy of them all, or even a conference championship game? What's it like when you're recognized for your, you and your crew's performance that allows you to get that kind of opportunity? Well, the any postseason assignment, and especially in the SEC, the championship game, Oh, it's just recognition that you've uh, you've done a good job during the season, or maybe made fewer mistakes than the guy next to you. But uh, no, it's a it's a reward for uh, you know good work during the season. So, do they try to keep the crews together, or are you you're getting your opportunities on an individual basis? It is basically on an individual basis, uh, and you'll have parts of some crews stay together and then you'll have others but it's they're getting it's totally by the rankings and just to be clear for for postseason they try to keep you guys away from the conferences that you've been working for example you know for the for the semifinals there there won't have the anyone from the either one of the two in a semifinal game whether it's lsu oklahoma there won't be an SEC or a or a Big Twelve crews working those. They do at other conferences from the teams playing. It's right? that way for all the bowls now. Right. Uh, from the early ones all the way through. Interesting. You cannot work a school from your conference. Before we get to the phones, and we'll say if you have a question or comment for Gerald Hodges about the rule book, six five six ninety nine hundred six five six ninety nine hundred. Jake Bentley has tweeted. Have you seen this, Vince Ferrara? I have not. Utah. Wow. So it's a, it's a very simple tweet. It shows him in Utah gear, and it says, excited for this next step. Can't wait to be a part of the Utah family. Hashtag go Utes at Utah underscore football. And it has a picture that's a profile, and it says committed. I wonder, I wonder if, he's, uh, if he's immediately eligible. He might be. He's a graduate transfer, I believe. Yeah, I think that's the, I think that's the case. And look, there's something that that is not surprising that he left that program. There there was talk that not long after he got hurt that he's a guy that could move on. Um, so wow, that that could be that could be perfect for Kyle Whittingham to maybe keep their their quality uh, going next year if he takes that next step. So. Jake Bentley leaving South Carolina to go to Utah. And again, let's go to the phones where Reed is up first. Hello, Reed. How are you? Hey, guys. Uh, how are you all doing tonight? Doing well, thanks. Uh, I've got a couple questions for Mr. Hodges. Uh, first of all, can he explain to me, or Gerald, can you explain to me on the ruling for false starts? Because I see so many linemen uh, getting set and then all of a sudden, one or two or three or a whole line stands up and looks to the sidelines for the play. Sure. The uh, first part of that, uh, Reed, is they can they will go down. They can put their hands on their knees or forearms on their knees as long as they don't go down into a three-point stance. Once they put that hand on the ground, they're locked into position. 
So they'll they will lean over. These are big guys. They'll lean over and put their hands on their knees or their you know forearms on their knees, and then they will you know they can raise back up and uh, you know look to the sidelines. But once that hand goes down on the ground, if they pull it back up, it's it should be a false start. Okay, because I could have sworn I've seen several teams this year go to a three-point stance and then stand back up and look at the sidelines. I may be wrong, but that's what I thought I saw. Sure. Um, the second question I had to ask you was concerning uniforms. Um, I saw the UCLA and USC game, and both were wearing their home uniforms. What's the ruling on that? Well, the uh, typically the home team uh, – has the choice of jerseys and they typically wear the dark jerseys unless you're in uh, Baton Rouge, but, uh, the home team gets the choice of jersey, but they can, if there is enough contrast, that's the key. They have to be contrasting jerseys. It doesn't necessarily say they have to be white, uh, or, you know, something like that. You could have a gold jersey and then a really dark jersey, but, uh, and they're supposed to get those, uh, cleared in advance. Also, you know, also, so. Well, this goes back. I'm fairly old, and I can remember when uh, UT and Alabama played in their home jerseys, and I wish. And they should again. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, because I think that rule was in, implemented when they had TV and they had black and white. Correct. That probably was the truth. Yeah. Okay. Oh. And now everything's color TV, so. I'd love to see the crimson and orange over there again. That that would be contrasting colors. I don't think there would be any problem with that. Where you get into issues is, you know, a lot of teams uh, like to wear the camouflage jerseys, and then what happens? The other part of that rule is you can't see the numbers. They're, they're, the numbers are camouflaged for TV too. We've had some schools that have had to go change jerseys before the ball game. They didn't they okay. didn't get approval to wear the jerseys ahead of time, and then. Well, I was just curious about that, if, if that could happen again. Uh, oh, I don't know. That I mean, they could probably – I mean, I don't see – to me, that wouldn't be breaking the rule. If you have orange, you know, crimson and, you know, especially orange, that to me would be enough contrast. But uh, I'm not, you know, the one to make those decisions. And if a team okay. came out uh, – and we anything else, Reed? No, uh, he answered my questions. I just love to see the crimson and orange again sometime. Yep, that makes two of us, and I know there's a lot more than just you and me. So, Reed, Thank sure to appreciate it. Thank you very much. Now, if a team wanted to do that, and it, it, it first, let's say it was expected that they show up and they're supposed to be wearing a jersey, they come out wearing a different jersey, what would be the penalty? And I guess, as you mentioned, with some of the camouflage, if you can't read the numbers clearly – then, uh, then they would have to have something to change into, wouldn't they? Right. Yes. They, you know, they, and of course, they could play with it, but they would, they would get a penalty on the start of each quarter. On the start of each quarter. Right. So you would pay for it. Some had thought that it would just be one penalty at the start of a game, but it would be a penalty at the start of each quarter. Right. They, they, they discourage that as much as possible. So I could see that. That's weird. I, I don't know if I've ever. I'm sure it's happened, but seen that, uh, you know, that penalty issued. Um, gosh, it, that is that is just so strange. Let's get a call from Doug. You're on Sports Talk. Hello, Doug. Hello, everybody. Merry Christmas. Merry hey, Christmas, Merry Christmas Doug. Offensive. 
have a general offensive question where the offensive team makes a first down, then an offensive player commits a dead ball foul. They move the line of scrimmage back 15 yards and it's first and 10. My question is, why would it not be first and 25? Okay, uh, Doug, it used to be that way. Uh, I, I couldn't tell you exactly when. It's been a while back, but it, it used to be that way. But the there again, the uh, the rules committee is made up primarily of, of coaches, so they vote on these things and different changes every year. But they just felt like that a first and 25 was just a little too drastic. Now, there is a situation if the offense – made a first down and uh you know and then once the ball is marked ready for play in other words first and 10 if for some reason you had a dead ball you know personal foul then once the ball is marked ready for play that becomes part of that play so you would end up first and 25 so it still could happen okay all right thanks so much all right thank you Sure do appreciate it, Doug. Thank you. If you have a question or comment for Gerald, 656-9900, 656-9900. Gerald's appearance brought to you by A.G. Hines Company, providing building materials since anyone can remember. Uh, one thing, and first of all, you had mentioned a couple of weeks ago that uh, there is the opportunity at times to either submit, uh, to propose something, a change in the rule book, or request when you and other officials are asked to uh, to share essentially what's on your mind. Have you done that yet, or is this something that happens in the off season? It we actually got the notification uh, very recently, mm-hmm. and uh, there's a you know a response period, so I've got to get in and do that too. So, uh, but there is they they ask for our input, and then at some point uh, they will they will send us a list of maybe ten proposed rule changes, and you know for or against or you know, uh, no feeling one way or the other. So, mm-hmm. And then they, they gauge it that way. But there again, it's, it's, they're asking for your opinion. So, uh, how formal is this proposal process? Do you, I mean, do you have to cite the specific rule and what you would like to see either amended or changed, or do you just say, I'd like it to be this and it, uh, how, um, just in general, uh, yeah. you, you don't have to, to describe the rule, you know, section and article and all that. Okay. But just in general, uh, you know, I've got a couple that, uh, you know, they're, they're, again, they're my opinion. I think once, a, and they're kids, but once a player, uh, the center comes over the ball on a field goal attempt, uh, I don't think they should be able to call timeout right at the snap. And, okay. You know, that's one that, you know, where, at whatever point they decide that, you know, enough's enough, you know, would say when the center's over the ball, then, no more timeouts. Do want to throw out this? This was from the Big Ten championship game. J.J. Uh, Watt was actually tweeting about it because he was not happy. It led to a score that gave I think Ohio State its first lead against his beloved Badgers. <laughs> but what you had was you have the offense is set for Ohio State, and you have a receiver that moves. He rocks backward and then moves forward, and you actually see him take the time to look to his right to see whether or not he had drawn a flag. He had not. Mm-hmm. The play goes on without issue. It's a touchdown play, and Ohio State scores. I'm not saying that Ohio State wouldn't have won if they didn't have that play. Um, that's not what I'm just saying. Do you think that should be something that perhaps should be reviewable? Or I think that there should be more of a common-sense component to review and replay to where if for some reason you miss a false start penalty – 
that you have the opportunity to correct a false start penalty that wasn't that wasn't seen or flagged. What do you think in terms of that? Well, we have been kind of advised by the rules committee. There are certain things, you know, they just don't want to open that can of worms. Uh-huh. Because once you do one thing, then, you know, we, we've been looking at every hold or uh, it's just uh, – it is a bad miss, and it happens occasionally. But now, keep in mind, if that receiver's out wide and he's not, you know, on the line of scrimmage, he can move unless he st- simulates a false start and draws a reaction. So okay, uh, so there's a little bit of leeway there. All right, not saying that it, that was the case, but because I did not see the game. We'll get a break. We've got more with Gerald Hodges with Vince Ferrar. I'm John Wilkerson. This is Sports Talk on 99.1 The Sports Animal. Download the TuneIn app so you can take 99.1 The Sports Animal with you wherever you go. Sports Talk continues. Vince Ferrara pinch inning for Jimmy Hyams. I'm John Wilkerson. Our guest, SEC replay official, Gerald Hodges. And uh, actually going back to watch the play while the receiver does move, for Ohio State, one thing that does stand out, and not only was J.J. Watt upset about it, but others said, hey, why wasn't that a penalty? Uh, one thing that should be cleared up is the fact that the receiver's left foot never moved. So in that instance, Gerald, you don't have a false start because he has the option to move. Correct. Yeah, any, the wide out, as long as he's not in a three-point stance, which he wouldn't be out there, too. He can go in motion, you know, back as long as you move away from the ball, correct. But if, if you start forward and you know simulate the snap or a false start, but it has to be forward. Uh, unless someone else is already in motion, do you, did you guys see if that was the case? Because then there'd be two people in motion, though, right? Now, I don't. I don't yeah, recall. Well, yeah, they would have to go. They would all have to come set again. Right. If he was the only one to kind of flinch back or look away while keeping that plant foot. Yeah. Or I guess he doesn't even need to keep the plant foot right as long as he's not moving forward. Not moving forward right? But if there was someone else in motion, he couldn't do that, right? right. Yeah, yeah. They would all, they, all twelve, excuse me, all all eleven would have to be stationary again. But otherwise, it'd be an illegal shift, right? Yeah. Let's get a call from Rick. You're on Sports Talk. Hello, Rick. Hey guys, uh, huh? I was at a question about the Oklahoma Baylor game. I saw a couple of guys go out to be checked for concussions, and the referee's announcement made it seem like the referees made the decision to have them checked. And I was wondering if the officials on the field or the replay official has any responsibility towards that. Well, all the officials on the field are are charged with the safety of the players. Uh, if it's something that looks pretty obvious, uh, but keep in mind, you know that I don't know about the uh, big the Big Twelve, but the SEC has a medical observer in the press. It's actually in the replay booth booth with us at every game, and they they watch stuff like that. And then you have the, of course the trainers on the sidelines. But uh, the medical observer in the replay booth can have me shut a play down and then just call down. And we've had a couple this year. Uh, they're not very often, but it's something that. We just shut the game down, and the referee announces it's a medical stop, and then, of course, they're they're sent to the sidelines to be evaluated by the team physicians or trainers. So, uh, I don't know about the uh, Big Twelve, but if obviously if it's something really 
major, the, any of the officials on the field can shut it down. The official went to their huddle and said, yeah, you need to give him, you need to check him out because Baylor's starting quarterback had, uh, you know, he had taken a hit, his helmet bounced off the turf, um, but then he came back in the game, and then that's when the official came over and I guess felt like, you know, he wasn't stable or whatever right. and said, you need to give him another look. But supposedly they went through the test and then he just, he didn't look right according to the official. Right. But there's a chance that the observer signaled down right. to the official and said, sure. hey, he needs to come out. With with the intercom system among, right. among the officials. That's true. Right. But uh, they have, there's in the rule book, there's in one of the appendix, it, te- it gives us ways to detect, you know, concussion or you know, looks, different looks that if it doesn't look right, then they'll shut it down. Yes. Okay, thank you, guys. Yes, sir. Sure do appreciate it, Rick. Let's go next to Tony. You're on Sports Talk. Hello, Tony. Hello, John. How you doing? Fine. How are you? Hello. I'm doing well. Um, question for you. Uh, in the Utah and Oregon game, um, Oregon has substituted offensive players in, and um, the Utah players seems like they just took their time to get off the field. And uh, in the meantime, the the official was standing over the ball. And uh, when it got down to about four or three seconds on the play clock, Oregon had to call a timeout. Can you explain that rule? Well, the did the offense sub, Tony, first? The, yes. offense, sub, the offense substituted first? Okay. They did. All right. Uh, once they substitute, and what will you have to watch, you know, very carefully, but once they substitute, you know, obviously the center judge will come up over the ball and uh, he'll, you know, hold them. The referee will hold his arms out till the defense needs to start their substitution within three seconds, roughly, and you know, then get off the field. What happens in a lot of cases is the offense will substitute late, and then once they do that, they kind of do that at their own risk uh, because you know then. The, and if they sub twice, and sometimes that'll happen, they'll send one in, and another one will come in later. Then it starts all over. So it's uh, they just got to be careful not substitute too late. Now, if they if it they do it correctly, and the defense is not is very slow, obviously slow getting off, then they they can you know they can pump the, the uh, play clock up to twenty five seconds again. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Thank you for calling. Sure to appreciate it, Tony. We go next to Kurt. You're on Sports Talk. Hello, Kurt. Uh, hey, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, I just have a question for you. When I was watching Georgia and LSU the other day, there was a play where a ball was thrown in the end zone by Fromm, and the corner was underneath the receiver, and Grant Delpit came over top of him, and it was an incomplete pass. And I didn't hear any announcer talk about it on TV or anything, but Delpit almost decapitated that wide receiver's head with his shoulder and he actually bounced hard off the turf and i looked over at my wife i said my god grant delfrit just got suspended the first half of the playoff game and they no one ever even noticed it did y'all happen to see that play no kurt i didn't uh i would i would say probably though that the replay officials definitely looked at it uh you know uh, you know i don't know that but we're charged with Anytime we can review any play on there, if it looks like there might be a, a you know, possible targeting on the play. Yeah, I thought they were going to buzz down. I was waiting for it because the guy kind of he staggered when he got up, 
And I don't know. I don't know if the, the emotion of the game sometimes. I, I guess a re, uh, replay is done on every play. Is that correct? That so is. they would obviously look for that. Right, especially on a hit like that. And and what yeah. what is interesting too is some and we get them. You know, in every game there are some hits that just absolutely from the naked eye look like it just absolutely took his head off and then. And, you know, we'll look at it in slow motion, and you'll see you actually hit him in the chest or something like that. I'm not saying that what, that's what happened, but. Uh, yeah. Tip, I, don't, I mean, like in that. this case, it, it just I think that was one that just got away from him. And I, I wasn't really pulling for either team in that game. Right. But I actually was arguing, not arguing, but discussing things on Saturday Down South on Facebook. And I got into a discussion with the guy, and I posted a replay of it that I had slow mode. And I mean, you you all may or may not be interested in looking at it if they're doing a replay or something. But man, Delpit is very lucky because he really smoked that guy. And as a Tennessee fan, I'm like, here we go again. We never get a call. Everyone else does <laughs> with targeting. But anyway, um, appreciate y'all taking my call. Yes, sir, Kurt. Thank you, Kurt. Thank you very much. And Shooter, appreciate it. Vince, today, 5 o'clock Eastern time was the deadline to have your Heisman ballot in. The Heisman Trophy has announced the four finalists. Care to guess who they are or have you seen? I have not seen. All right. So we'll say Joe Burrow, question mark? (laughs) No question mark needed. Joe Burrow is indeed a finalist. Stepping out on the limb there, isn't he? (laughs) Um, Justin Fields. Correct. Tua Tungavailoa? No. No. Interesting. Um, let's see. Did Trevor Lawrence get an invite? He did not. Wow. There are okay. four. And you've named two. Uh, Jonathan Taylor? No. Jonathan Taylor. Okay. Um, you got one more QB. Oh, Jalen Hurts. Correct. Yes. Okay. And then, so that means there's another non-QB there. Correct. Well, there's a non-QB. A non-QB. three QBs. Right. Uh, Chuba Hubbard, Oklahoma State? No. Hmm. Not. Oh, Chase Young. Yes. How about that? So, Good for him. Joe Burrow, Justin Fields, Jalen Hurts, Chase Young. Those are your Heisman Trophy finalists. Some serious talent right there. Big time. And uh, names you will likely hear, well, some of them, pretty high in the, in the upcoming NFL draft. We will get a break. We've got one more segment to uh, today's edition of Sports Talk. Our guest is SEC replay official Gerald Hodges, and Gerald's appearance is brought to you by A.G. Hines Company, providing building materials since anyone can remember. A final segment of Sports Talk next on 99.1 The Sports Animal. We're what Willis was talking about. 99.1 The Sports Animal. Final segment to today's edition of Sports Talk. Final segment with SEC replay official Gerald Hodges. And Gerald, as we get closer to the holidays, uh, you've got a gentleman that you're working with that is trying to make a very happy holiday for as many people as possible. If you would, tell us what's going on with Corte Sapp. Sure. Uh, VFL Corte Sapp is having a toy drive for un- some underprivileged children, uh, single-parent families, and uh, just a really great guy and uh he's identified some uh needs in the community and uh he was telling me today it's just a, a chance for him to give back and uh we're actually at ag hines we're 
we're accepting toys there. We're at 116 Hind Street, which is just off Western Avenue. And also, if, uh, if you don't have time to go shop, uh, we'll, we'll take cash donations, and uh, then we'll get the toys bought and get them delivered. All right. So uh, at any point in time, folks can come by A.G. Hines, 116 Hines Street, obviously during regular business hours. Right. Um, so if you've got a toy, that would be great. If not, uh, cash donations would be very much appreciated and greatly accepted. Correct. Correct. All right. Well, what and a fantastic. We open at 7 if you have really, you want to get out early. We open at 7 a.m. So. And that's 116 Hines Street right off of Western Avenue. That's correct. Uh, fantastic. Well, wish you guys the very best with that. Well, I hope so, too. It's a really good good project. Yeah, well, way to lend a helping hand to somebody doing a great job lending Absolutely. a helping hand. Let's get back to the phones and talk to Ed. You're on Sports Talk. Hello, Ed. Hi. I have a question regarding the rule against assisting the runner. I just wondered if there had been any recent changes to that rule. Uh, it just appears to me that sometimes it just is getting out of hand where you have a, a fullback and half the offensive line pushing forward, and uh, I always thought that that was prohibited. Okay, it was up until fairly recently. Ed, I'd have to go back and do some research of what year. But it used to be you could not uh, aid the runner by pushing him. Uh, so it just it was so hard to detect almost. But what they the rule way the rule states now you can push him. Uh, you cannot grab him and pull him across the goal line. We've actually seen that called in some cases. You'll have a lineman in the end zone. He'll just reach over and pull the running back in with him. But uh, it is legal now to push him in the back, and if you can get three or four guys pushing, it's uh, it's pretty effective. Okay, so it has been changed in, in recent years. Yes. Correct. Yes, sir. Okay. All right. Thank you. Yes, sir. Yeah, because there was some controversy over the uh, uh, Southern Cal-Notre Dame game quite some time ago now. Do you remember, Vince, the uh, furor over the Bush push? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But uh, now they can do that. That's correct. They just legal. can't. You just can't, can't pull. Exactly. <laughs> Let's go next to Rodney. You're on Sports Talk. Hello, Rodney. Hi, John, Vince, Gerald. Hello, uh, hey, Rodney. Telco, Rodney from Telco Plains here. I, uh, I might be in the minority on this, but it drives me nuts whenever a guy scores a touchdown or makes a sack or even just makes a tackle and they celebrate like they just made the play to win the national championship. And that gets so carried away sometimes, and it's I think it's subjective because you see it called for some things, uh, and the very next game, you know, or you flip channels and to another game, and it's the guy acting up the same way and nothing's called. I just think it's way out of hand. It's... I guess I'm old school. When you score a touchdown, you walk over and give it to the official like you've done it before. Yep. You know, but That's true. Is there anything that can be done about that? Well, Rodney, and of course what happens is, you know, the players and their kids, college players are kids, they see this on right. Sundays all the time, and they pretty much they don't call hardly. It has to be really bad then. But uh, the way the rule reads is it can't be a – choreographed deal with three or four players so they practice a dance in the end zone that type thing or uh anything demeaning to an opponent or to incite an opponent so uh 
but I, I agree with you. You see some of them make a tackle and jump up and celebrate, and they're down 48 to nothing, you know. So, yeah. Or, or they overthrow they overthrow a receiver and the defensive back, you know, you thought he'd make, you know, the play to break up the win, winning touchdown. Oh, yeah, they start wagging the finger, and it's like, you did absolutely nothing in that regard. And, and, maybe that's what he's saying. I had nothing to do with maybe this. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> Uh, and you see that on Sunday all the time, too, and that's where it, it trickles down. I do think, and we sure do appreciate the call, Rodney. Um, I think Lou Holtz had the right approach that it said, well, if you're going to dance after you make a big play, you can only do that if you dance after you get burned. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I can see that from Coach Holtz. <laughs> but, uh, Gerald, I guess this is our final appearance this for this it. year? This Hard is, to believe how quickly we get to this stage. It's but, uh, 16 weeks in a row, and yeah. it's gone. Yeah. Just sure like enough. the season. That's in, the way the season goes. In the blink of an eye. Well, as always, a fantastic pleasure. Thank you so much for uh, joining us as as you have for another season. And uh, enjoy the off season. and good luck with whatever postseason assignment you get. Well, hopefully they'll come along. and I've, I've enjoyed it. I really have. It's a lot of fun. Well, you make Mondays very enjoyable. But, Gerald, thank you again for everything this year. Thank you. Thanks, and, again, if, uh, if you want to help with Corte Sapp's uh, drive, A.G. Hines Company, 116 Hines Street, right off Western Avenue. And, of course, A.G. Hines Company, providing building materials since anyone can remember.